0: That's n o o m to sign up for your trial today.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode one seventeen of On the Wire, proud member of the Pictureless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On the Wire Pod. You can follow me at eighty Great. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hasting at Hasting Kevin. Fortunately, he's off again this week. Instead, you are stuck with me. Just me. Yep, that's right. For the first time ever, you are getting a solo version of On The Wire. So <laughs> bear with me. As we get through this, i have some recommendations for everybody on how they can spend their fab. We're also going to talk a little bit about stolen bases and stolen base landscape. Some things that I found interesting as I update my data set every week on my brag boards. If you look at the, my Twitter handle. My pinned tweet, you'll find a link to that. You can look at that at any time you like. But we'll get into that a little bit later. First and foremost, as we always start off, let's get through some news and notes from the past week. They may impact how you want to spend your fab dollars. So as we tend to see every single week this season, we got an MLB debut of a prospect pitcher. Once again, this happens in Seattle as the Mariners call up Brian Wu, Marco Gonzalez stayed in Seattle to get some tests on his left forearm. Wu made his MLB debut on Saturday, He's making him eligible for bid in most formats that require MLB experience before Fab runs on Sunday. But the bidding should be a bit subdued compared to other MLB debuts that we've seen as Wu only lasted two innings, two full innings after being shellacked by the Rangers in Texas, giving up six earned runs across seven hits and a walk. Seattle has a couple of days off next week. They're one of the few teams that have to, the only team that has two off days next week. So you can very easily skip Wu's start, plug him into the bullpen. They could send him down for a short period. But assuming that there's a little bit more to Gonzalez's forearm that they're doing tests on, we I, I would expect him to come back up. Keeping him up and in the bullpen and then just having a pitch long relief for the week seems the way I, I'm expecting it to go. Though I can see that sending him back down and letting him get a full start at AAA, it could make sense as well. But he could come back the following week. He could very easily be in place to face off against either Miami or the White Sox at home in Seattle. Either one of those being a much better matchup than what he got in his debut in Texas. So this is something I think it could end up being a very sneaky ad. Wu didn't actually look that bad, no home runs. He got a little singled out in his two innings. Yes, Texas is a very good offense. Yes, he very well may struggle, But if you're looking for him as a streaming option in two weeks, because of this output that we saw in Texas, he could very easily go under the radar and he could be a nice little stash for a week as you see how he does either in his bullpen role or in his possible start at AAA if they send them down. Down in San Diego, the Padres, they got Manny Machado back from the IL and in return, they placed DH. Nelson Cruz, part-time DH Nelson Cruz on the IL with a right hamstring strain. Cruz have been primarily DH against left-handed starters. So this actually could give more run for the newly acquired Gary Sanchez, Who's claimed by the Padres after being DFA'd by the Mets earlier this week. Somebody we're going to talk about anyway because he found a new home. He's starting pretty much every day. He started each of his first five games in a Padres uniform so far this week, including three at catcher and two at DH. And he should fit in nicely into that DH spot that Cruz was filling against left-handed starters. So Sanchez, if you are rotating through catchers like I know I am in at least one other league, be somebody worth mentioning, worth grabbing because I do believe he's going to see much more run in San Diego from an offensive standpoint. I don't really care what he's doing behind the plate or how many times he's behind the plate. If he's getting more opportunities to get into the lineup, he can at least, he might tank your batting average a little bit but it is a short period of time if you're looking for some pop. Sanchez obviously looks like he's getting a little bit of a run with his new home with the Padres. Jordan Walker, he returns to St. Louis as Lars Newtbar heads to the IL in the corresponding move. Walker started in right field and batted eighth in the Cardinals lineup in his first two games back in the bigs where he collected two hits and a walk. So a little quiet return, of course, in St. Louis. He continues to struggle getting the ball in the air. In his first game, couldn't get the ball higher than a four-degree launch angle. The two batted balls were both negatives, bouncing right into the ground. One of those, obviously, for the single. This, of course, is one of the things that... He stated he was working on in AAA. They wanted him to work on his defense. I like needed to get the ball in the air a little bit more. And it looked like, at least from a lot of the reports that I saw and some of the analytics that were coming out of his stint at AAA, that it was something that was he was working on and he was making different decisions on what balls to swing at and what balls would be easier to get into the air rather than changing his approach, per se. It's obviously very short sample with just two games under his belt back in St. Louis, but not fixed yet. There's going to be some value in him. Obviously, he is a talent, but batting eighth or at the bottom of that St. Louis struggling back and forth lineup for the Cardinals is even though he's going to get, it looks like he's going to get the volume, at least while Nupar is on the shelf. I'm not sure how much he's going to do with it. So obviously, if you got him, you're not dropping him, especially you're excited that he's back up, but don't If you're like me and you threw him back on pretty much every lineup you had because he came back on a Friday out of excitement, maybe temper that a little bit and keep him on the bench at least for one or two rotations if you are switching out your lineups twice a week like you do in NFBC. One small little note here, the pirates they made a trade with Tampa Bay again. They don't loot they don't learn their lessons apparently. But they trade a reliever Robert Stevenson to Tampa Bay and of course he immediately becomes a candidate to save half of the ray's remaining games. And all just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, there is the narrative that Tampa Bay will find a pitcher, whether it be reliever or starter, and do fun things with them that are going to be fantasy relevant. At this point, nothing to be nothing to see here yet, folks but it's Tampa with a pitcher who obviously has a little bit of pedigree. He's had some success in the past. So Robert Stevenson, somebody just to keep an eye on Carlos Correa re his planner fist. on Thursday. He sat out Friday and Saturday for the twins. Biggest takeaway here is not so much that Correa is missing time. Shocker. It was going to happen at some point. It's going to be an ongoing issue for him throughout the course of the season. So obviously if you, roster Correa anywhere you've you had to be ready for that on top of obviously all the struggles he had to start the season but really what I'm getting out of this is that the fact that Kyle Farmer has started at shortstop in both these games that he was out that Correa missed not Roy Lewis who had been who had been called up earlier in the week Lewis has now started in five games since being called up and all of which were at the hot corner third base giving him eligibility at third base in all the formats that have a smaller thresholds like Yahoo, who, where you only need five games started or 10 games appeared. But in most of other formats where you just need, it's just the 10 games appeared, he still needs the five more. So he'll gain that eligibility and you should feel more confident in those who roster him and those who are looking to bids in on him this Sunday night that you should be getting that eligibility as soon as Friday. That should do nothing but increase bids where he is available, especially those who want that extra flexibility of being able to plug him in, not only at shortstop and third base, but of course your middle infield and corner infield on top of your utility spot. Chris Sale has the I.L. with a sore shoulder for the Red Sox. Alex Cora was not... Not, none too happy to talk about his decrease in velocity, being very concerned about what could come next. Got an MRI. Last I looked, they're still waiting on the results for that. you can probably have him by the time you're listening to this, but either way, he's on the IL. With the rain out on Friday, though, the Sox can't afford to wait to see who might come in to take Sale's spot in the rotation. In the second game of the doubleheader, they pretty much just did a bullpen game as well. So... I would say that pretty much anybody you could speculate, Corey Kluber would be, even though he pitched one inning relief, got the win in the day game of that doubleheader on Saturday. He could be the first one to come in and take over that rotation spot as he was pretty much the last one to leave the rotation and go into the bullpen. I'm not sitting here telling you that you should be bidding on Corey Kluber in any form, in any format whatsoever. Please don't do that. And if you did, I did not tell you to do it. If he does well, congratulations. And but he will not be doing that for any of my teams going forward. I will say the Red Sox do have a nice a couple of nice matchups coming up with the Guardians in Cleveland. And then following that a series against the Yankees, they host the Rockies in Fenway and these are two very good matchups over the course of the next two weeks something to worth monitoring as to see who gets the matchups for the Red Sox just for streaming purposes so keep an eye on how that turns out all right I flew through the news and notes I thought were worth mentioning regarding your fab of course there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I missed you should be listening to the first pitch podcast with Casey Bubba and Jake Crumpler. They break down all the news highlights and observations from every day's worth of games as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Those guys do this every single day, so I'm sure how they do it is a whole lot better than the way I just did it all by myself. Regardless, check them out for all the news and notes. And then, of course, Nick Pollock puts out his Plus Pitch podcast where he highlights every starting pitching performance from the day prior and looks ahead at his streaming options for that day and the following day so if you're not listening to those two podcasts on a regular basis I don't know what you're doing make sure you are checking that out all right I'm going to take a quick break catch my breath get a drink and when I come back I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of the trends that I've been noticing regarding stolen bases across the league. And we will talk about that and then get into our recommendations, my recommendations after this quick break.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, you are back listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howell. You follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And I say, I repeat that just because we're going to talk a little bit about stolen bases. And if you follow my work, which is besides On the Wire, it's pretty limited, but it really focuses on tracking stolen bases over the course of the last four seasons or so since 2019. And at the rate in which runners and pitchers and catchers allow these stolen bases to to occur, whether they're just being attempted or they're actually being successful. It's a whole nother story. But really, if, if you're looking over at my Twitter page, go to my pinned tweet and you'll find a link to a tableau board I call the brag boards. And within that, on the front page, you'll find a link to article I wrote in the off season right before the season started called Quantifying Stolen Base Intent, where I go over some trends that I've noticed over the last couple of years and try to quantify when a runner determines it's a good time to run for them, take into account the catchers, the catcher that's behind the plate, and their pop time, their arm strength, the pitcher on the mound, of course, what is happening in the game, if their team is up, if they are down, what inning it is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So a lot of things going into that, and one of the major stats that I utilize um, that was really put forth by Austin Bristow here at Pitcher List a couple of years ago, refined a little bit and then added in some nuances was called SPOT. The stolen bases opportunity taken. So if you look up stolen bases opportunity, real quick, stolen base opportunity is pretty much any time a base runner is on base with the next base open, either being second base or third base open in front of them, and at least one pitch has been thrown that would allow the runner to advance or to attempt a stolen base. So if the pitch is thrown in the very first pitch that's thrown, the batter swings, hits the ball into play. That is not a stolen base opportunity anymore because the runner could never have stolen a base with the ball in play. The ball has to have been thrown in such a way where the ball was not, no contact was made by the batter. And no, wild in p- the first pitch, wasn't a wild pitch or a pass ball, which would allow the base runner to advance without it being considered a stolen base that all that in mind, I wanted to take a look to see what these new rules were doing. I know there's other work out there in the Twitterverse and what have you, but very briefly just synopsis. Synopsis is that word. To really bring it all together and at least what we've seen in the first two full months of the season and my data goes through this past thursday so that's going to be through june 1st as i'm looking at this and i'm really going to be focusing on espot the other the other statistic i'm going to be really focusing on is opportunity pitches taken so this is the amount of pitches that are thrown during an opportunity during a stolen base opportunity and the reason I wanted to look at that, it's a little bit more granular to see how many pitches, how many opportunity pitches, which again, fit that same criteria I talked about earlier. A pitch is only an opportunity pitch if it would allow the runner to attempt the stolen base. So again, any pitch thrown uh, that, that created contact with the batter, whether it be a foul ball in play, hit batter, or didn't it didn't allow the runner to advance for any other reason besides the stolen base. So again, fourth Fourth ball, forcing the walk, a wild pitch, all those things taken out of account. And when I look at opportunity pitches taken, it, it gives me an idea of how many pitches a base runner is allowing a pitcher to throw before they are actually going to attempt the base. Are they being super aggressive? Are they waiting until like their perfect opportunity? They're letting him throw a couple of pitches. They only get so many of these opportunity pitches. Per per plate appearance or per at bat, that it's interesting to see how many they actually have to throw before this runner is advancing, or attempting to advance. As far as s goes, we're going to look at that on the from the runner's perspective, and the pitchers and the OPT or opportunity pitchers taking. I'm looking at that from the pitcher's perspective or the defensive team who's being run on. So as far as S-bot, who is the question? I think was on all of our minds is. Before the season, a lot of questions that people are trying to answer, theorize, is who is going to take advantage of these new rules the most? Is it going to be an even disbursement across the league where since the base is closer for everybody, everybody's going to run a little bit more? Is it going to really focus on the slower players because the fast players with the higher sprint speed are already running at the rate in which that they probably could? did it didn't matter but all the other variables or the speeds is just going to take more advantage. Those are really the three ways it could have went. And I will tell you it's, it's pretty obvious to me after taking a look at the opportunities taken over the course of the first two months, when you look at 2023 versus I'm talking about all games happening in March, April, and May until the end of March. And then obviously all of April and all of May, if you're looking at 2023 versus 2022, just back to back years, the rate in which the rate in which all the runners w- were going is a whole lot more often when it comes to the fastest runners, to the rabbits, to the speedsters. So if you look at I'm just looking at Spot. When it comes to second base, so when second base is open, that's m- a lot more of the opportunities happen at second base, obviously, versus third base. A lot more of the attempts happen at second base, even with the new rules. So the S spot across the league, on average, in 2022, the average S spot over the course of the last couple of years, the average S spot at second base in 2022, just put things in perspective before we get into it, was 1.94%. So it's across baseball obviously this includes people a whole lot of runners that don't run at all but across baseball just under 2% of the opportunities were being taken across baseball now if you fast forward to just the first 2 months of 2023 your SBA is just over 2% again across baseball now keep that in mind as we take a look at the Who's making the biggest jump? In 2022, i bucketed these players into three categories. The slow guys, anybody under 27, sprint speed. And then we have your middle-of-the-road guys, 27 to 28 feet per second. Sprint speed guys, and your your rabbits, your anybody at 29 or above or faster. We're looking at that. So the fastest guys in 2022, they were running at a 3% clip, jumping up to... 3.58% 3.58% so far this year, and again, this is looking at just the first two full months of the season in both 2022 and 2023. Your me- mediocre runners, if you will, in 2022, we're looking at 2.12, and just jumping up to 2.24. For, so a very small jump for these guys. Whereas the slowest runners, anybody under 27, in 2022, they were running at a 0.81%. They are still running faster or more often than they were last year, but only at a 0.9. So not even a full point or full click up from the year before. So these, these runners that have the speed, they have the ability, they are the ones taking advantage, or at least more advantage. On top of that, we are seeing more opportunities across the board, especially in the first two months of the season, whereas the fastest runners have seen an increase in their stolen base opportunities, at least going to second base at about, they've seen about 400 more opportunities across baseball than they saw last year. So that plays into it a little bit and they're getting more opportunities with more conducive environment to run. Of course, they're going to try to take as much advantage of that as possible. And that the opportunities are across the board, the increasing in, in, in opportunities, those Mediocre runners are seeing, they saw 6,564 opportunities in 2023, where they only saw 5,748 opportunities in the first two months of 2022. With the slowest runners, again, also, also see an increase, but not as much. They only saw an increase of about 450, as opposed to like the, the 600 increase that we saw, or actually, about the 800 increase that we saw for the mediocre runners and there's a whole lot more of those runners of course as well that being said your speedsters are going to continue to run and that's what, I, that's what I'm seeing here they're going to continue to take advantage they're also the ones that are being thrown they're less likely to get thrown out by opposing catchers and they're the ones that have, have the added confidence that they already had so on top of that they've gotten that added confidence with the new environment to allow them to run that much more frequently. Now on the other side of things, now we talked I heard Scott Chu and Joe Galina talking about this on Hacks and Jacks about 2 weeks ago or 3 weeks ago that the ability the fantasy managers out there have the ability to regularly stream stolen bases, it's something we've talked about a whole bunch on this show, something I've talked to Scott about separately as well, just the ability to stream pretty much any category. But in this environment, stolen bases is one of the top priorities here. You can pretty much find it anywhere if you look in the right spots. Now, what I want to do is just really quickly put this together is, again, I'm looking at opportunity pitchers taken. This is the stat that I'm looking at when I want to find a pitcher that is being run on more aggressively. Obviously, the higher the OPT or opportunity pitches taken, the more aggressive runners are being. And they're throwing less pitches per plate appearance where runners are still taking advantage and still attempting those stolen bases. And of course, I want to look at the success rate against these teams so of course not all success rates are equal if runners if teams aren't running a whole lot on them that success rate is a little weighted in in a different way but obviously you need something that you need to consider especially if you're a opposing team that wants to run on them. Like, hey, what's the history here? Are they throwing out batter? Are they throwing out my runners? Is it worth the risk? It's something that a manager is going to consider as in addition to who the catcher is, what's their pop time, what's their arm strength. And how quickly is this pitcher working to get the ball to the plate? So the catcher can make that throw out at second or third on the attempt. So with that in mind, I took a look at that and then I also want to take a look at who are the types of runners that are making attempts against, against these teams are only the fastest runners going on these pitchers on these catchers and who's getting thrown out are these catchers able to throw out the fastest runners are they able to th- are they able to pick off just the slowest runners that are taking that risk and I think these are things obviously that need to be taken into consideration when you are streaming you want to When you are streaming in any situation, whether you're streaming pitchers, hitters, you want the best matchups. You want the best opportunity ahead so that you have the best ability to take advantage of those of the abilities of the teams that you're trying to take advantage of. I'm pretty sure I just said the same thing in a circular fashion, so (laughs) you can ignore that part. With that being said, teams that you really want to focus on if you are going to be streaming stolen bases. At this point, and some teams have gotten better throughout the course of the season. Some teams have gotten worse. As I've put together my own, and you can see this again in the brag boards. It's one of the tabs. I have some rolling charts. Scott Chu, you'd love this. You should take a look. (laughs) Of rolling charts for both pitchers. Runners and then teams on both sides, teams that are running more aggressively and then teams that are being run on more or less aggressively throughout the course of the season thus far. So a couple teams just on that that have, regardless of what their rates actually are, how successful they've been at catching runners, teams that have seen a decrease in opposing teams running on them on a regular basis. Surprisingly, actually includes Boston, Cleveland, Minnesota, Oakland, and Texas. So, a couple of these teams, four out of the five of these teams, are in the top 10 overall in aggressiveness or OPT. They are being run on quite a bit, including Boston and Cleveland. They are in the top five here. Oakland and Texas also round out in the top 10 here, but they are trending in the right direction as far as getting better at deterring. So something you want to keep an eye on. In Boston's case, obviously, the starting catcher role going from Rich McGuire to to Wong back behind the plate, that plays a little bit into that as well. McGuire pretty much couldn't throw anybody out, and Wong's doing a little bit better job there in general. So that could just be deterring teams in general from taking advantage. So it's something to keep in mind in that realm. On the other end of things, five teams that are trending in the wrong direction, are Atlanta, Chicago, the Cubs, sorry, Atlanta, Chicago Cubs, Milwaukee, the Dodgers, and Baltimore. Baltimore being the one that's surprising here just because they have been so successful at deterring and throwing out runners. Rutschman is not somebody you want to be running against, it seems. Baltimore as a team, 65.5% success rate teams have against. So they are almost at the every other runner being thrown out category. Somebody, Something you don't want to be looking at. But the Dodgers, seeing them be going down in the downward direction as far as deterring runners throughout the course of the season... Not some, not a team, not you want to see that as a Dodgers fan. We should continue to see plenty of teams taking advantage of not only the success rate at 86%, but also just the continued aggressiveness rate, that OPT rate. I talked about earlier, being in, again, in the top five for teams running against them. That being, that means then let's sum it all up real quick. Teams you really want to be focusing on if you are streaming these pitchers with all the varying factors in mind. Teams you want to run on all day long include Miami, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Washington, the New York Mets, and San Francisco. These are all teams that have a top, Ten in a thing, depending on how you're looking at it, a top ten in a positive direction in all these categories that I looked at, including the trending in which they're going and the OPT at second base. Again, that that opportunity pitches taken rate, the success rate stolen bases at second base rate, and then also the sprint speed of the runners that are taking advantage of these teams and the sprint speed of the runners that are actually being caught. So for the Mets, they hit four out of five of these. They're pretty flat line as far as the trend goes, but they are in the top 10 in OPT. They are in the top 10 in success rate. For a runner's perspective, that's top 10 in a good way. (laughs) In a deterrent, not so much. And then the runners that are actually taking advantage fall lower than 28 feet per second. And the runners that are being thrown out also under 27 and a half. So it's just the slowest runners being thrown out by both the Mets, San Francisco Giants, even further than that, they're on average sprint speed of the runners that they are actually catching, which are not that many is 26 and a half. And so again, if you have some speedsters going up against the Mets, San Francisco, Washington falls into that bucket as well. A couple other teams that, fall into that bu- that specific bucket where the slowest only the slowest runners are being caught on a regular basis. Include the Angels, or only their average spin speed of runners that they are catching is are 26.83. Now they have one of the highest success rates in all of baseball at 90.3%, but teams are not taking advantage of that. So they didn't make this final list of the top 5 as they are in the bottom 10 in OPT so teams are not taking as much of advantage of this as you as you would think and so we might you might see that and they are also going in the positive direction as far as they are deterring more teams as the season progresses. So, so something to keep an eye on might not be if you were thinking just because of that success rate, A team that you might want to take advantage of. It might not happen. Um, They might be successful if it does happen, but it might not happen at the same rate that you were hoping for. Teams you want to avoid, at least as of right now from what I'm looking at, teams that I'm avoiding streaming against Baltimore still fits into that. Even though they're trending in that wrong direction, they still hit every single other category in the top 10. Arizona, Colorado, Cincinnati, and Houston rounded out. They hit three out of the five. Things that I'm looking for Where Cincinnati specifically. They are throwing out the slower runners, and the slowest runners are running against them, but they have the top bottom 10 success rate. They are not, teams are not being aggressive against them as well. And they continue to deter at a higher clip throughout the season. Not that high, but close to flatline, but it's still not getting worse for sure. So they fit into that role as well. Houston, very similar. They hit two out of three. uh, The middle of the road when it comes to that OPT stat I was talking about. But that 66.6% success rate is bottom 10. And again, they are looking, they are getting better throughout the course of the first two months of the season and so they're deterring more and more teams as the season progresses again not again but this is something to consider that this very well may have to do with the matchups in which they've had so far so as obviously the season progresses in the Sample size gets a little bit larger and they've seen more and more teams. But after two months, all these teams have seen a good chunk of the league, if not not outside of their division and inside the division interleague games. They've seen quite a bit of different teams as well. So I think that this sample size is pretty good when you're considering what they might be doing moving forward into the future. Baltimore, Arizona, and Colorado, they were the top three here. As I look at Baltimore talked about earlier, they have one of the lowest success rates against the average sprint speed of the runners that they are throwing out and the runners that are actually attempting stolen bases on them are above 28. So only the fastest runners are going anywhere and they're still being thrown out on an average clip. And they are also... Like I said, the only thing they have going against them is that they are going in the wrong direction throughout the course of the season when deterring. Arizona, everything that I said about Baltimore is true about Arizona, with the exception that they are middle of the pack when it comes to what direction they're going to. They are getting better, but it's not top 10. But again, 52% success rate against one of the lowest, if not the lowest in the league. No, second lowest, only to Colorado, who I mentioned as my number three here. And again, there are runners that are going up against them over 28. So only the fastest runners are really taking advantage. Colorado, 48.2% success rate. One of the lowest running against the OPTs as well. There are runners that are running up against them, 28. Though they are middle of the road when it comes to who they're throwing out. So just under 28 when it comes to who's getting thrown out. Again, this is an average as well. So that anything right around 28 is going to be it's going to be something to keep an eye out for. Again, to bring it all together, just to remind you, the teams that I am at least targeting right now when it comes to streaming stolen bases against, again, these are the matches I'm looking for, Miami, the Dodgers, Washington, the Mets, San Francisco, and then the teams that make the worst possible pairing when it comes to streaming stolen bases against just because even the fastest guys are thinking twice about whether or not they are going to actually run and a lot of them are still getting thrown out by baltimore arizona colorado cincinnati and houston so something to consider as you look at your stolen base rankings in your leagues and where you can make up the most ground if you have these kind of matchups One more thing to look at when you are setting your lineup. Let's get into a little bit more about some of the players you can actually look at to fill in these gaps. We will take a look at my recommendations right after this quick break. All right, we are back or I am back. You are listening to On The Wire once again, we are going to get into our recommendations for players to keep an eye out for when you're making your decisions on your fab. And we'll go category by category or groups of category along the way. So you can make your considerations here. Of course, I'm going to start here with a power and I'm going to take the easy layup for me personally here and take the low hanging fruit. Ryan Nota of Oakland is still available He's only rostered in 30% of main event leagues. Of course, that's that 15 team threshold uh, readily available in your 12 teamers as well. In the last, just since my last recording, Noda has knocked out three home runs, including one on that Sunday. Excuse me. He's hit two bombs since our last recording here where he hit one on Sunday and on Monday. He hasn't missed a game, which is something I suggested last week, as he's been in a pretty strict platoon. But with he- Jesus Aguilar being DFA'd by the Oakland Athletics, note his starting games against lefties. It's only been the one game, but that's still that's, ex- that's three or four extra plate appearances for the first baseman batting at the top of the Oakland lineup. Whether he is leadoff, second, pretty much batting second almost every day, there he is. In the last three weeks, so in his last 17 games, not including Saturday, he's got a 20% barrel rate. He's got a 27% hard contact rate. He is launching the ball at 19.1 degrees on average. So he is getting the right angle at the ball to get it out of the park, even in Oakland. The one thing, of course, he's got going against them, he's still only batting 226 <laughs> and with an expected average of only 233. 27 strikeouts to 8 walks, though he does lead baseball, second in baseball, at an, with an 18.7% walk rate. Uh, if you look over at our PL player pages, you'll see a couple of really high red bars with a .390 OBP, ranks 21st in baseball, an 187 walk rate at second in baseball, and an ex-WOBA of 377. That's 26th in baseball. Of course, he's got some low dark blue bars as well for the season, but in the last three weeks, those blue bars would look a lot more red, especially in the hard contact rate where he's at about 21% on the season, but he's racked that up to 27% in the last three weeks, seeing the ball a lot harder, more consistently, and more often. Hence where hard contact rate comes into play, something you want to consider. When looking at what kind of balls the your hitters are actually making hard contact with, being at the top of that lineup still going to give him plenty of opportunities. Especially if he is playing every single day, he might get an off day here or there against the lefty, where they want to give somebody else a couple extra at bats. Sure, but with Aguilar not really an option there, we're already seeing Noda getting even more run with the A's. He's got three in Pittsburgh and three in Milwaukee. So, not bad matchups at all. Obviously, Pittsburgh has a tendency being a pitcher's park, but the former Miller ballpark should be somewhere pleasant to hit, regardless of what the team that you're playing against is on the field. And how could I leave this category without at least giving a shout out to Kevin's boy, Ramon Urias, playing third base not so much every day since coming from the IL? For the Orioles, but Gunnar Henderson was reported he did leave Saturday's game with some back tightness, something that just came across the desk, left it out of the news section, just threw it in here. Urias could and probably should see added playing time for the next couple of days, if not throughout the course of the week for the Orioles. And if he does, he could be some sneaky, he could be a sneaky option for some added power there as well. Onto the speed category, of course, I'm gonna echo a lot of the stuff that I already talked about in the little focus section in the middle of the show. Elvis Andrews, he comes back to the White Sox again. Something we left out of the news section didn't didn't start on Friday, but did start on Saturday at second base, the position they did sign him to play, and. Elvis Andrews can still run. He's got five stolen bases on the season so far on just six attempts. He's, he's running at a very similar rate that he was last year, and that's on the whole, just around 4% of his opportunities, which is still above average, across, much, well above average across baseball, but still Still, right around where he his kind of career norm is, he was at point four point three percent at the end of last year. He's running at about three point eight percent in limited time so far this season. So he's going to have the opportunity to run. He's at the bottom of the order, of course that that second leadoff spot, if you will, in the nine hole. And the White Sox do face off against one of those teams that I mentioned earlier in the Miami Marlins, a team that I'm going to be targeting, and in the second half of the week. They face off against the Yankees. The Yankees are pretty much middle of the road across all those categories that I talked about earlier, about an 80% success rate against, and they are running it in the wrong direction when it comes to deterring runners. So as the season moves on, more teams are being a little bit more aggressive throughout the course of their series against them. So Elvis Andrews, about 30% rostered in the main event, readily available in your 12-teamers on top of that. Excuse me, Elvis Andrews, 21% rostered in the main event, so readily available in 12-teamers on top of that as well. Dual eligibility, second base, shortstop, of course, that's just middle infield. It's got six games, as most teams do this coming week. And he should be starting in, I would assume, at least five, if not all six of those games for the White Sox now that he is back with the team and healthy at his position at second base. All right, as we move on to our opportunity section, go over some of the notes here I have as far as the schedule goes. I alluded to a lot of it already, but I'll just bring it all together. There are only five teams that have a full seven game work week ahead of them. Toronto, Houston, the Chicago Cubs. Cincinnati and Milwaukee, they play seven games in seven days. There's only one team, as I mentioned earlier in the Seattle Mariners that have two off days. They'll be off Monday and Thursday. Every other team plays six being off either Monday or Thursday. As we look at Colorado, as we tend to do, they are back at home all week long. I know a couple weeks ago I said this is doesn't happen this season, but it's happened <laughs> three weeks in a row. And it's going to happen again next week as well, where they are either all on the road or all at home. This week, all at home in Colorado. They host San Francisco for three, and they host San Diego for three. They do have the one-off day as well. They do head back on the road for 10 straight road games following this sixth game home stretch. So something to keep in mind especially when you are looking at streaming pitchers against the Rockies on the road after that home stretch. All right, and just to correct myself from earlier, two more teams have a full 7-game work week that is Tampa Bay and Boston as they have their makeup game scheduled from their rainout right on Monday. So because of that, luckily they had an off day, they could fill that in. They now have 7 games to work with. Because of that, I'm going to go with my hometown Red Sox here. Always, not always pickings <laughs> from the Red Sox going here. Uh, Enrique Hernandez is somebody I'll be looking at. Pretty much rostered across main event. About 72% rostered. Pretty much rostered across the main event. 91% rostered. Only started in 79%, or just shy of 80% of the leagues this past week. But still going to be readily available in 12 teamers. And just the fact that he's got the seven games he's playing every day for the Red Sox in the last couple of weeks, he's been hitting a lot, whole lot better than he has, than his full season stats may lead you to believe. In the last three weeks, hard contact rate above 23%, the 6% barrel rate on top of that. Swing strike rate of just 10%, launch angle 12%. So he's getting the ball, line drives, a little bit of fly balls here or there. He does have a pair of home runs in that time as well, striking out just over the amount of times he's walked 10 strikeouts to seven walks. So nothing fancy, nothing, nothing that's gonna hurt you. And that volume in that seven-game work week could help. For sure, just saying maybe not a player that you want to keep out of your waterfall bids. That dual eligibility as shortstop in outfield doesn't hurt as well, especially if you are missing a player that went on the IL or is going to miss some time. He's a nice little stopgap will not be expensive, especially in your 12, te- 12 teamers as well. All right, moving on to our pitching categories. We have wins and K's, our counting categories. I'm going to take a little bit of a 12 team detour here as the guy I'm going to talk about, JP Sears, 100% rostered in the main event, uh, still only about 30% rostered in online championships. So those 12 teams are still readily available. It's got a nice little two step ahead of him this coming week. I expect him to be a, a popular ad even in. The Oakland rotation, where wins are very hard to come by, especially for their starters. In general, <laughs> as an Oakland fan, it's, the wins are difficult to come by. But he's got a nice little two-step at Pittsburgh against Milwaukee as well. Two nice matchups for any pitcher on any team. In his track record as of late, has been nothing to shake a stick at. As well, of course, the strikeouts hadn't been there in his last two starts. We'll chalk that up to being matchups against Seattle and Atlanta. But if you look just beyond that, against Houston, against Texas before that, even four strikeouts against the Yankees are against Houston, 7Ks. Texas, 6Ks. 4Ks against the Yankees. Seven strikeouts against Seattle in his prior matchup there. If you just go through his game log, 11 strikeouts against Texas prior to that as well. A couple starts to go. This guy has been taking off. It really should be more regularly rostered, even being... With the Oakland Athletics, he's proven that he can he can hold his own against the best offenses in the league. And even when he's not getting the strikeouts, he's still putting up 26%, 23% CSW and mid 60s, mid to high 60% strike rates across the board. Read what Nick Pollock has had to say about him in his last couple starts in his SP roundup. You can really easily read that if you go to the player pages, go to the game log, hit that little plus symbol next to the game and you'll see the his notes are right there in there. Of course you the you want those whiffs to turn into strikeouts just on his May 30th start against Atlanta again. It was against Atlanta. His whiffs did return, just didn't re, didn't result in the extra strikeouts which is what we want to see. But Two-step against two mediocre offenses who have been struggling mostly all season. Pittsburgh obviously had their nice little start to the season, but has floundered as of late. Not something I'm scared about, and the repertoire that Sears Sears has been working with has been something that I know I've been utilizing in many of my leagues, and anywhere where he's still available, he'll be a high priority of mine going into this two-step J.P. Sears. All right, on to our ratios for our pitching categories. Of course, we're talking about ERA and Whip. I talked about Mark Leiter Jr. in the saves category last year. I'm gonna stick with the Cubs here in the ratios and remind everybody that Albert Alzalay is still available in a whole lot of leagues. Albert Alzalay for the Cubs, still in the saves mix, rostered in thirty-six percent of main event is still throwing really well, regardless of if he actually gets saves or not. Obviously, later has gotten the last, I think the last two saves for the Cubs, and later is Elsley is still in the mix. I know Elsley was always, a lot of people's out there's favorite to end up with the bulk or the majority of saves by the end of the year. Again, we're not talking about saves here, so that's not necessarily why you're grabbing him, but he's still worth a stash in that situation. But just look at what he's been able to do as of recent. Yeah, back on the 21st, he had two earned runs. But besides that, the man just does not let runs cross the plate while he's on the mound, at least not ones that are credited to him. He's struck out 27 while walking just four on the season. Of course, that 225 ERA in total is really weighted down by that one two-run game a couple of weeks ago a couple of pickups here or there throughout the season. But as of recent, that's pretty much the only blemish on his record. This guy's got a 28.7% CSW with 13.7 swing strike rate. Only walking 4%. percent you love to see that in your high leverage reliever. I mean, he's going to be put into the game in multiple situations, whether they're leading or not. As I'm recording this, the Cubs are down 3 nothing. Al's has not pitched in this game so far. I don't expect him to. I'm actually hoping he does not pitch on Sunday as well to give him plenty of run with a seven-game work week for the Cubs this coming week and get him plenty of innings to chip away at those ratios. All right, and But we do need to talk about saves in general. Again, as I started this off with the low-hanging fruit, I'm going to end in this category with the low-hanging fruit. Greg Jewett brought him up last week as somebody to keep an eye out for moving into the role in Colorado. It looks like he pretty much already has Justin Lawrence. Picked up the last two save opportunities and converted both of them Friday and Saturday for the Rockies on the road. Granted, the Rockies are going to be at home all week, but then they will be on the road for 10 after that. Looks like Lawrence has, after Pierce Johnson blew his last save a couple days ago, he has not even been given the opportunity to come in and get that job back. Lawrence looks like he could run away with it. I would expect Him to be, even as a Rockies closer, to be a very popular ad going, I'm sure, in some leagues, he will go for triple digits. I guarantee you there will be a league, especially in a 15-teamer, where he goes for triple digits this week as saves become that much more important as the season moves on. So Justin Lawrence, look for that the very least make sure you're getting a keep them on a spit in there don't let anybody sneak them in there for less than probably 20 25 bucks just because reasons (laughs) all right that's gonna do it guys i'm gonna skip our wild card section i know it's my favorite guy my favorite section on here but there's a lot going on i'm all here by myself Pretty much bid on whoever you want here. A lot of the guys that we're speculating on coming up, we got the Royce Lewis of the world. I can echo my Derek Hall call from last week being the a stash if you're looking for some power. He should be continuing or should be doing his rehab assignment and hopefully he comes back to the Phillies sooner rather than later. So look out for that, but that's going to do it. I'm going to wrap it up right here. Hopefully you guys stuck with me throughout the course of the episode and you'll stick with me throughout the remaining episodes. This will not be a regular thing. I will make sure we have guests on. Kevin will be here wherever humanly possible and we'll get you going throughout the course of the regular season. That's going to wrap it up though for episode 117 of On The Wire. Please make sure you're continuing to subscribe, sharing, and and reviewing the podcast wherever you are listening. We will continue to be back every Sunday with detailed fat breakdown throughout the 2023 season. Keep a lookout for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com. that comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. And you can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grid. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at hasting Kevin. Of course follow the pod at on the wire pod. After all that I am Adam Howe and on behalf of Kevin Hasting, Thanks for listening. I bid you goodbye.